Senior writer for War Media. You can follow me on the Instagram and the Twitter at Josh M. Hicks Media. And this week's episode, we have a lot to dig in, a lot of basketball talk we got to talk about, especially since it's now the two year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death. And I got someone who actually got to see Kobe Bryant up in person. So I know, so he has a better understanding of what it's like to see the Black Mamba in real life, something not a lot, not a lot of people can answer for. And this guy is not just only a well-connected brother, but he's a Chicago sports writing brother of mine in the industry and a big brother of mine in this industry. And I'm glad to have him on the show. My guy, Christopher Casey. But Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Josh, man. Thank you for having me on. Man, I'm glad to have you on. I know it's been a minute since we last, you know, talked and everything, but I've been following, you know, continuing to follow the work that you're doing. Like always, man, you're doing big things and we're putting out great content. I, I really appreciate that. that. Appreciate it. Man, for sure. But we're just gonna dive in. I'm obviously I know you and you got a little bit of a big schedule. I do too. So we're just gonna just jump right into this thing, man. And I gotta start off with with you know the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls, um, they've started off really strong, then COVID, then injuries. And just when we just when I thought the Bulls were gonna start getting their groove back a little bit, getting some players to return, you get dinged with more injuries. It's like they just cannot avoid the play. You know, yeah. I was Caruso getting hurt now for six to eight weeks. Gonzo Ball's out another six to eight weeks. Derrick Jones just got healed and injured again. Yeah, working out. <laughs> working out. And now he's out for, I think it was four to six weeks or something like that. I believe that too, yeah. Something like that. So, but the best thing about all of this, I guess you could say, is the emergence of Ios the sumo. Ios really come out strong as a, for, for his rookie season. He's done a lot of great things for the Bulls. And at the same time, you got your big three back now with DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and, and Vucevic. Now, Vucevic is a little banged up. Levine's still a little banged up. But the fact that they're out there playing right now shows a lot of uh, promise as far as moving forward um, for the rest of this season right now. And I think the Bulls are in a good place. I'm a little worried because, at least with the uh, the teams that they should be beating, you know, the Magic, the Oklahoma City Thunders, the Raptors, the Raptors, Raptors, all them games have been close for the most part, or they've lost. And, you know, that gives me a little worry, considering that for a top team in the East, you should be able to put the best, the, the teams you know you're supposed to beat out the way and do it in a fashion that, you know, uh, that shows that you're, you're the best team in the league. But this is the NBA not always going to be that way and I just think personally with everything going on they just ready to get the all-star break they just ready to get the all-star break relax get that week off and then recuperate and come back Chris talk about your viewpoint of the Bulls so far what are your thoughts things that really surprised you or your or um you know really caught your eye and where the Bulls can be at moving forward and where you think this Bulls team can go definitely well it's just good to have positive expectations 
you know, for this team again. You know, it's kind of crazy just seeing like all the comments now when you mention teams they should be beating, always remind the people that I do talk to when watching games. I was like, if you think about it, like the core, the core of this team now, we look at outside of DeMar DeRozan, who's really been accustomed to like winning. Um, and that's not to say it like in the basketball, but if you look at, you know, take Caruso out, take DeMar out, we look at Vucevic, Zach, even Lonzo to an extent, these guys really haven't been in like real, real big winning situations to where the expectations is, you know, top four seed in the playoffs. So this is kind of new territory um, in a sense, but I think just looking health is always going to be a concern. And, you know, um, I think the time off could be good for those guys. What I do worry about is when it comes to postseason time, Lonzo hasn't had his surgery yet for the meniscus. You got Caruso out. When those guys are coming back and you're trying to integrate them again, now they have to get back up to speed, get in game shape at a point of the season where everybody will kind of be, they should be at their stride. But then when you look at the new uh, Brooklyn Nets situation, you got Katie who will be going through the same thing. Um, so a, a lot of teams will be going through that similar thing. I think this Bulls team, everything, everything in the league right now is wide open. So I really can't put a cap on almost anyone. I mean, hell, look at Cleveland right now. Who would expect the Cleveland Cavaliers to be like one of the better teams in the league? But they defend. I mean, they have this weird, they play three bigs at a time. It's an unconventional lineup that catches teams off guard but I think the ceiling for this Bulls team is Eastern Conference Finals when you look at it because nobody really has when you look at the Brooklyn Nets situation that that core three like who knows what's going to happen in the playoffs you got Kyrie who's there like just for road games how is that going to work in the postseason you know there's no continuity there I mean you look at Philly like Embiid is playing his butt off but like how far can they go I believe they're fifth so, I mean, the sky's the limit for this Bulls team. I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised if like a finals appearance, you know, is in the cards. But I still think Milwaukee is the team to beat uh, in the East. They've also had some injuries. But um, like I said, the sky's the limit for this Bulls team, especially with how things have looked so far this season. Those are very good points. And I think uh, especially when you talk about the fact that it, what the Bulls don't really know what it's like to have a winning you know, culture yet. So they're still yeah. trying to figure out how to go through this, this stretch of top tier success throughout a regular season. That's, it hasn't really happened since the Derrick Rose era. So right. that definitely makes a lot of sense as far as what they're going through. But for me, I think what does it for me is, I, is the fact that Io has played so well for this team so far, especially when you're talking about starting, even in starting lineups. It seems like the more minutes he plays, the better he plays. And bringing him along within this Billy Donovan system. I'm going to be real honest with you. It's a, it's a stretch of a comparison, but to me, it has some similarities. It's the way the Bulls are bringing Iowa along is the same way to me how Tibbs used to bring Jimmy Butler along when he first got there because of the fact that he, when I, as a rookie, Jimmy Butler was playing, you know, some crucial minutes here and there, but he was also guarding the best team's defender while learning his offensive skill set along the way until he became the Jimmy Butler that we know now. Io is, a, I think, further along in the offensive game, but the fact that he's, every time he's on the floor, he's guarding the best player. Um, every time he's on the floor, he's winning and impacting the game in different ways. 
it's a similar transition to what Jimmy Butler started off with. And I think that's a positive sign considering, you know, the potential that Io has now that we can see from a ceiling perspective with Io's game. And also seeing in comparison, if it were to, you know, manifest in that way, look at what Jimmy Butler did for himself. I mean, that's not a bad comparison considering the situation that they're in. And they're both, they were both drafted later in, well, Jimmy Butler was like, I think it was the last pick in the first round. Iowa was dropped into the second round of the draft. I think it's, I just think there's some similarities that, that even though it may not be a complete, you know, symmetry as far as comparison, there are some things that you can look at and say and, and pick out and say, I can see where this component of Jimmy's life might have fit for Iowa. Am I a little crazy for that? No, I mean, I think Jimmy just his rookie year. I think going to his second year, he had a little bit more of Tibbs trust and that was more so out of like necessity. You know, you had Lou who was banged up. Uh, I think Ronnie Brewer was also in front of him. Like Jimmy's rookie year, I don't remember him being on the floor that much because he's playing Luau Ding damn near 40 minutes like a night. <laughs> so uh, with Io, I think everything with young players is confidence. I mean, and when you have the confidence of the coaching staff to go out there to take take shots, miss shots, and also play through your mistakes. That's the biggest thing um, that I see in Io. If you look at how he started off from the beginning, beginning of the year and where he's at now, it's night and day. And I think that just comes with more reps, but just the ability to be able to like play through your mistakes and not have to worry about, you know, looking over your shoulders, you know, to see if, you know, I'm getting ready to get pulled. But I do like what I'm seeing out of him playing with a lot of confidence. He defends, you know, he's not scared getting to the basket. He's taking shots when they're available. He's facilitating. So, I mean, I wouldn't have expected this this far just because you're looking at the lineups and I'm saying, where's this kid going to get minutes? Like, no one really factors in, you know, if this player – X player X, A, B, or C gets injured. Can this guy come in fit in? But he's done a great job of just coming in, doing what's asked of him, and even a little bit more. So I've been pleasantly surprised at just his development so far. And obviously, as we're heading towards the trade deadline, this rumor is circulating about, you know, the Bulls trying to do everything they can to get Jeremy Grant from the Pistons without giving up Patrick Williams, who, even though he is hurt right now and injured, it's rumored that he might be able to come back in the middle of the season, just enough time to get a couple game, a few games under his belt and prepare him for the postseason. Um, and there's, and at one point, I don't know if it's still out there, but there's rumors about the Bulls looking at potentially trading Kobe White to get something to help with that type of turnout for a superstar or all-star to come to Chicago. I don't, I'm not necessarily a fan of trading Kobe White. Considering considering the fact that you know he's even though he's on a cheaper deal right now, and I think he has maybe one more year on his deal, um, mm -hmm. the fact that he's able to give you what he can give you if you put him in the right position, he could for him to excel. I mean, Kobe Kobe White's not a point guard; he's not a traditional point guard, um, but he's also has the ability to score the ball. And if yeah. you put him in a, at, at any given rate, and you and if you just give him shooting guard responsibilities or two guard responsibilities in a second unit, I mean, sky's the limit, especially if you put them on the same court with Zach Levine and DeMar. That, can, that really can work. And there's been times throughout the season where he's shown, like, that, that th those positions work for him. And people question how even Kobe and Iowa could play on the court together. And they've won a couple games that way. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the fit is there. But Kobe is such a unique situation because he needs certain – 
um, certain roles to be paid for him in order for yeah. him to excel in the way they need to excel. Are you one of those people that are on the bandwagon of, you know, Kobe White is nice, but if I get something better for the now, let's get rid, let, let, let's find something along those, find something that can work. Or are you on the bandwagon of keeping him and seeing how he continues to develop under this bull staff? Yeah, I'm up more of the mindset of just keeping him here because, um, well, first, I mean, the Bulls really have to identify what really, uh, you know, we don't know what the goal, obviously, this season was to be competitive. I mean, and I'm pretty sure they didn't expect to be, you know, top of the East good. They expected to be competitive. But now if the focus is being on, hey, we might be able to, you know, possibly win this thing, then you look at deals. But I believe right now when you just look at the way the league is right now, like a guy like Kobe White can, you know, knock down big shots, I believe, in the postseason, even though he hasn't uh, competed, you know, at that level just yet. But just guys that pretty much have a short memory in terms of missing the last shot, those are guys that win you playoff games just because they have no conscience, you know, at all. They, there's no pressure in terms of, what the moment is at all. So I believe he's one of those players. Uh, I believe you ride the season out with him. And then, you know, if you decided, hey, AO is going to be our, you know, kind of point guard, that guard coming off the bench, first point guard coming off the bench, then you look to move him. I'm not really a fan of Jeremy Grant with this team, especially a guy who's already had that taste of being like a number one option, even albeit on a bad team. The fact that you know, he's already had a taste of that. And now you're throwing him into a situation where DeMar and Zach are getting the load of the shots. And then Vucevic is getting, you know, what's left of that. And where does Jeremy fit in with that? I don't know if he'll just be accepting the, uh, just being like a slasher, a defender like that. I do believe the Bulls do need like a big, another big um, somewhere. On, I just don't know who's out there and what deal is to be made to get that done. Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, your last part, especially when it comes to getting the big man. I think we need an additional big man that's more versatile to fit the full second unit, especially if Vooch yep. goes down. Um, the Bulls have had a lot of success playing that small ball lineup. And mm -hmm. I want I, I want the Bulls to have a big man that is, even though he may not be big offensively like Vooch is, defensively, he can be solid for that team. Yeah. Um, when and, and and bring the versatility that the team needs. That's why I actually really like Tyler Cook in the position that he's in uh, right now because of his versatility and what he brings to the table. He did a very good job guarding Giannis in Milwaukee uh, when they played the Bucks before you know for, as his first game coming back. So I think he's a very versatile big that can help. But they need more of that. Yeah. Um, I think you can actually potentially get that in the in the buyout market. You know, I mean, there's that to trade for anybody, considering that yeah. she is just a backup, you know, big man. And I believe there's going to be some contenders or contending players that will get bought out of, bought out of the teams that they are in. So that way, if they want to make a move, you know, to go to a contender, they can. I mean, a name like maybe Paul Millsap, I think could be kind of ideal for backup minutes per se for that second unit, um, especially since his situation in New York, I mean, in Brooklyn with the Nets isn't going so well. Um, I, I don't know, like you said, I don't know who else is out there, but I think Paul yeah. Millsap will be a guy that the Bulls should do the due diligence with, especially since at one point there was interest between both parties. 
Yeah, I mean, I look at Paul Millsap, you know, a guy who's played, you know, undersized for a majority of his career. He definitely brings like some playoff experience in there. Um, how he fits in. I mean, I do think he, there is situations where he could fit in with this Bulls team. But I'm just looking at the team like a guy like, and he's making way too much money. Like a guy like a, a Al Horford would be perfect, you know, for for this Bulls team. But um, yeah, I just don't know who's who's out there. But um, no, I'm pretty sure you know that's what you know AK is there for and. Uh, Mark Eversley. I'm pretty sure they're working on something, but I do think, you know, if a deal isn't out there, then they should still feel very comfortable with this team. Everybody listening right now, you're listening to Chris Kaysen. Chris, um, transition to just the NBA as a whole. I mean, um, there's been a lot of surprises, you could say, <laughs> has taken place within the league this year. Um, from what you've seen, and covered around the league, what is the one team that has surprised you the most? Um, we can st- and we can go f- one from the East and one for the West. Well, we can start off with the East for now. What's that one team that really <laughs> shocked you? Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea, like, at all. To me, I pretty much my projections of the season, just looking at how the roster shook up, I just worried, kind of wondered how that – uh, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, backcourt would continue to work out. It's like you got to move one of those guys. Unfortunately, uh, Sexton went down for the for the year uh, with the knee injury. But the emergence of Darius Garland, you know, as a I always looked at him as an undersized two, and you know he's running the show out there. So shifty, you know, great form on his shot, can get to the basket when he's want the rookie of the year, like favorite you know Mobley like very impressive defensively like he plays with the poise of a guy that's been in the league for 10 years like he makes a big play there's not a lot of yelling a lot of gesturing to the crowd is right back down either on the floor for defense or back on the floor on offense so very impressed by his poise I mean they've done a great job there too I mean you just look at the the makeup of that team and you're like how are these guys doing it but they've bought in um, to, you know, bigger staff, like that coaching staff, the defense philosophy. So very surprised, like the fact that I'm watching Cleveland games and, you know, January and December, like I didn't expect that at all, but I had to see how are these guys are winning? Like, you know, unfortunately Rubio went down also, but, you know, he was doing a great job there. Over in the West, uh, my biggest surprise would be, and it's not really too big of a surprise because I, um, I believe uh, just on the podcast that me, BC, uh, have um, Memphis was a team that, you know, I was already coming into the season looking at just because I'm a huge fan of John Morant um, and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. But I didn't expect this. I mean, those guys are young. All of those guys are dogs. And I love watching them play because there is no fear of, Anyone, you have some young teams who will play against a guy like a LeBron or a KD, and there's a little bit of a deference, or you're not really going at them as you normally would anybody else. But like these guys just don't care, and I think that's a team no one in the West really is looking forward to play. You know, come postseason time, and you look at Memphis injuries, COVID. I mean, we're talking to main guys. Ja was out for I believe ten or eleven games. 
didn't matter none. They went on a winning streak. You got Dylan Brooks has been out. I mean, they haven't missed a beat at all. You know, top top three in the West, I believe, uh, still. Uh, and like I said, they're scary, just scary good. And a little bit ahead of schedule. I just want to see what they do come postseason time. Yeah, John Moran is over here. <laughs> He's over here doing some crazy stuff, man. And you definitely yeah. got to put his name in that MVP conversation, what he's been able to do um, from, you know, this, even last year. I think I want to say Memphis was like one game out of the play-in tournament. Yeah. So you have just off of that, going from there to now you're a top three team in the Western Conference and winning in the fashion that you're doing it. And John Moran is doing it in all different ways on that court, man. And that's a huge credit to his work ethic and what the team is and what he's been putting in with this team to help elevate this team at the level of, you know, of high stature in this league. Um, I definitely got to give John Moran his props for that. I hate that he went number two to Memphis because I think the Bulls <laughs> I forgot what year, I don't know what year the Bulls had for that pick. I think it was, I think it was the seventh pick again that year or something that like that. That was 2019, yeah, I believe. So I think that's the is that the Kobe White draft? I think that was the Kobe White draft. Yeah, I mean, I'm cool with Kobe White, but I mean, this is, you know, Jabba Red's nasty. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, I wish we could have done some type of trade up to get him, but hey, you know, you know, most credit to John Moran and what and what he's doing over there uh, in Memphis. That yeah, being please. said, that you mentioned Darius Garland, him doing his thing in Cleveland. You had John Moran doing his thing in Memphis. You got all-star break coming up real soon. These who are your ideal players you want to see in the all-star league, who at least who deserve to be in Austin in the all-star game. Oh man, that's a that's a good one. Well, I believe in the West, I have no problem with the starters. Um in the East, it was a little bit confusing because they have I think DeMar is listed as a guard, but he, you know, he's playing forward for Chicago. Um, I'm not really I just I think we're we're gonna have one of those years to where somebody really deserving like two 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 or three guys are gonna be deserving, but just the way fan voting works out, like somebody's gonna be left off. The fact that you know Andrew Wiggins was had a good season, like he's one of the leading uh, vote getters, is crazy to me. Um, you got Clay Thomas, he's up there and he's just getting back, but guys like Devin Booker. Um, mm -hmm. trying to think in the East, like there's always so many deserving guys that kind of get left off just because the way fan voting works out and, you know, obviously the more popular players, the more commercials and things like that, you know, the more fan recognition there is like Kyrie is, I think one of the leading, uh, vote getters in terms of guards on the East and, you know, he's only played a handful of games this year. So, um, I don't know. I would have to go through the, the rosters, but in the East, I would just look at, you know, we just go by record. I mean, in terms of guards, and I know I'm going to leave some people out. You got to go probably Kyle Lowry at that point guard. He's had a good year in Miami. Um, I think Darius Garland would be, you know, obviously a coach's pick over there. Zach and DeMar both deserving. KD's up there, but more than likely, he's not going to play Giannis, um, Embiid, of course, in the West. You got Jokic, four. Now I really got to look at these rosters. Um, but Clay is over there. Bron is over there. Um, 
I mean, I believe Anthony, the way Anthony Edwards has played this year, he should be an all-star. I mm-hmm. mean, Carl Anthony Towns, too. Quiet is kept, like, Carl Anthony Towns, like, doesn't get a lot of recognition because he plays in Minnesota. But look at his numbers and look at his percentages. I mean, it gets lost because, you know, a lot of it's considered putting up empty stats because you're on a bad team. But, like, I believe in a winning situation. Like, that guy, he's a he's a nuisance to guys. He's one of the best offensive centers probably, you know, of our lifetime, you know, just looking at what he's able to do offensively. But yeah, a lot of deserving guys in terms of like this all-star, but I believe you're going to see like two or three guys that are really, really deserving that are pissed (laughs) the way the fan voting goes and the coach's selection. Everybody listening right now, you are listening to Chicago sports writer, Chris Kaysen. Chris, um, I know we, I know previously, um, when we talked before we got on, you talked about how you're not really with a major affiliation to the, to a certain extent anymore, but you've done a lot of reporting on a lot of different topics, uh, yeah. within these, within the different affiliations you did do work for. Um, and one of them, I know for sure, at least the, uh, I can't remember the specific stories per se at the top of my head, but I know the work you did with GQ. You know, those sports stories over there really caught my eye as far as the work as you've done. From your career perspective, what is what is your favorite or top stories that you've written? And um, go and give detail about what, you know, how did those things come about and which affiliation they were with? That's a good question. Um, I believe just being a freelance writer, what kind of, what we get caught up in is we don't really get to, enjoy like the work after it's done because we're already trained to we're already working on probably two to three other things like after it's published that's what a lot of people don't get like when something goes up I probably submitted that maybe like a month ago and so I've already been working on two to three to four things otherwise uh what I've been able to do with GQ even though it's only been in that a real life diet space has been great because you you get to talk about what make these guys tick you know what they're putting in their body what their preparation is like what their routine looks like not a lot of guys in the league are they don't call themselves superstitious but they have a routine you know that they adopt early in their careers and it carries um, on throughout their careers there may be like some slight alteration in terms of what they're putting in their body as they get older, but you know, for the most part, their day-to-day routines, like on term in terms of game days, stay the same. So that's been one of my favorites. Um, anything that I've done with Slam, uh, I've always cherished it, just because, like I said, I um, kids don't do this at all. But growing up, you know, I used to steal Slam magazines out of this. Um, out of this like little convenience store by the high school, I used to steal Slam magazines. I would buy the Sun-Times, sneak the Slam magazine right there in the middle <laughs> section, get it rung up for the 50 cent, and then I would read Slam all throughout, you know, um, high, school, high school. So anytime I get a chance to contribute something to them, it means a little bit uh, more to me. Um, but yeah, I've done, done a lot of things. I've been privileged to uh, my path is not like a lot of other guys. Like, it's very unconventional. But, you know, once I got in the door, you know, I studied 
I study not only the players, but I study people that I grew up reading. Uh, you know, Casey Johnson, who's now with NBC. I've had great mentors. I mean, I've watched and talked to Sam Smith just to be able to get Sam Smith stories is like a blessing. You know, Jason Goff, who's now with NBC, like yeah. Agre Sam, uh, like oh, Scoop Jackson, who's yeah. pretty much like the godfather um, to me, like all these guys, you know, once I got in those locker rooms and around them, I studied them. I saw, you know, how they interacted with guys. How do you approach, how do you approach, approach a player who's, who may be pissed off or who may be having a bad week? How do you ask a coach, you know, a tough questions after, you know, a tough loss. So all of that information, once I got in the door, I just pretty much studied and, you know, just applied it going forward. And what I try to do now is just like the guys that are coming up like you, um, like what Terrence and Eugene are doing with the bigs, any person that I've seen that, you know, had a questions, I've tried to make myself available to them because like when I was coming in the door, nobody had to do it for me, but you know, you cherish those that did pull you to the side and, you know, hey, here's my email, here's my number, you know, if you ever need anything, keep in touch with me, you know, that goes a long way. Um, and it's all about just pretty much um, keeping like the integrity of the game as far as how it's covered, how, you know, stories should be getting rid out there. It's, that's, that's what it's all about. So, yeah. I appreciate that for real, man. Uh, and for you to be able to, you know, do that with me, I learned a lot from you as well. So just keep, you know, keep doing your thing with that. Um, before we get out of here, though, man, you know, it, it is unfortunately um, a sad part of the week for yeah. us basketball fans because of the unfortunate death of Kobe Bryant, the Black Mamba, starter Gigi, and the seven other victims that were on that on that helicopter crash. Yeah. Um, obviously, gone too soon. Kobe Bryant was an idol of mine growing up. Model, my, you know, I loved, that's who I really watched my, my games in the prime. One of the top guys, you know, from Afro Kobe to older Kobe, you know, these young yep. guys don't know. <laughs> but, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you, gotta you know, they, they, they don't understand, they may not understand, but Afro Kobe was a different beast then you know then absolutely the older better the older Kobe but you know watching his skill set and everything as someone that as I idolized being gone too soon you have had the privilege to at least see him up close mm -hmm. um and being close to him in the persona talk about what it was like to be around the black mamba what and what was your experience like overall watching his game throughout his career and what and what specifically what did Kobe mean to you uh, well, to me, uh, man, I get killed when I say this, but Kobe was kind of like, you know, my Jordan in a way, just because of how old I am, you know, when Mike was, you know, still finishing his tenure with the Bulls, you know, I was kind of just coming into my own and Kobe was coming into the league, what, 96, 96, no, not 96, 98. So, you know, this is moving into my teen year. So this is when I'm really immersed in the game. And here's this 18-year-old, you know, coming into the league who now everybody, you know, that plays basketball, picks up a basketball, believe like, okay, I can identify with him. That's a guard. I can probably, you know, elevate my game and leave out of high school. So um, my relationship with him was just 
watching from afar, you know, whenever there was Lakers game on NBC, I definitely had to be tuned in just to see what this guy would do. Um, and just getting a, the slight opportunities when the Lakers would come here in Chicago, being able to be in those media scrums, hear like him dissecting the games, how he, his relationships with the media, um, it was special. And my favorite Kobe memory of all is like during my time covering the Bulls, I would always get to the United Center right when the media gates open. That's at 3.30. So, you know, I'm there, I'm watching players. I'm pretty much there before most of the players get there. And like, it was a, Kobe had just broken, like, I think like the tip of his shooting, his shooting index finger, like a couple of games ago in like Utah. And, you know, I get to the United Center, I set my stuff down. I go out to the court, like I always do, and just start waiting for guys to file in. As I'm making my way to the court, you know, I hear basketball, you know, bouncing. I was like, oh, okay. You know, a couple of the ball boys are probably out there shooting around. I get closer towards the visiting side and I see, you know, the the um the gray, the gray shirt is drenched in, you know, it's drenched in sweat. And I was like, is that Kobe? That is Kobe. And he's out there in a full sweat, literally going game speed, just trying to get the feel of the ball just because of that huge wrap that was on his finger. And I was like, yo, this dude is nuts. It is 340. He has to, like another four <laughs> hours before a tip off. And this guy's out here in a full sweat. And the favorite part of that, I sat there and watched him go through that, go through his drills literally for about maybe a half an hour. And, you know, as he's leaving the court, there's no fans, nobody else in there. A couple of people like in game ops setting up stuff. He's walking out and I walk behind him. I'm like a few feet behind him. But John Salmons, who's with the Bulls, he's coming into the um, arena and he like looks at Kobe and sees Kobe in this full sweat. And like the look in his face is just like, <sighs> and you, I've never seen the players just like, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> game, game start, Kobe has 20 in the first quarter. And I was like, yo, this is why that guy is, you know, who he is. So um, definitely sad to lose him because, you know, we always expect our legends to live old, become ambassadors of the game, see them courtside when they're in their 60s and their 70s. And the fact that, you know, he won't be there. He didn't get to, we didn't get to hear his Hall of Fame speech and we won't get to see him. Um, uh, and Gigi, like what she looked like she was becoming, the fact that we don't have that, you know, it's definitely a huge loss. And, you know, that also can't take away from, you know, the other victims of that tragic incident. The fact that all of these families were impacted by that one moment, you know, it's just very sad. Yeah, man, very, very well put, man. Kobe was just a different dude. He was a black mama for a reason. And out of all the things you just said, which is so true, and I obviously can relate and agree with, the one thing that stuck out to me was the NBC, M NBA on NBC that they used to oh, have, yeah. boy. They need to bring that I'm dating back. myself. Yeah, I'm dating myself with that one. But yeah, those were <laughs> like the best, man. Um, I can't like Marv Albert to me was like the voice of like playoff basketball back then or any game that was, you know, a national game, man. There's not too many guys that just have like that natural commentating ability. You know, I grew up on Wayne Larravee and uh, Johnny Red Kerr. Like, so those guys are like the goats to me, you know, Stacey King, you know, has found his own lane. And I do, I've learned to like enjoy, 
you know, the energy he has now, like the last couple of years, like, I don't know, it seems like someone's missing, but I've enjoyed him thoroughly this year. It just seems like he has a new, new energy, but yeah, like, you know, the NBA on NBC, like there was nothing like that intro alone is iconic. Yeah. They gotta bring that back. Like I, I love, I, I love. I mean, I, I, I like that it's back in some way. At least the intro is. But I mean, yeah. I mean, come on now. And Fox, I think, I think it's Fox. Fox that has the, you know, the, the, the theme music for it now. The jingle, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, it's not the same. <laughs> no, you know, it's not the same. You gotta. At least, you know, I, I, even though I'm only 27, you know, I, I still wasn't, <laughs> you know, I was still yeah. watching those games on NBA, NBC back when I was a kid. So I remember, you know, seeing the intros and hearing the da 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 you know, with mm-hmm. all that in the background and everything, like, that's, it's nothing like it. That was some yeah, it's era iconic. basketball. It's, it's, it's very iconic. Nothing like it. Um, And I, I wish they brought that back. I really do. But yeah, man, too 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 much money in like these TV deals now. So right, right. Maybe we have to just, you know, maybe we'll convince them somehow. We have to go to the media rooms or something and convince and convince them to do it to the higher something. <laughs> but uh yeah, before we get out of here, man, what you got coming up? What 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 do you have as coming up that um our audience can you know tune into with what you're doing? It's always fluid <laughs> with me. So um there'll be a lot of stuff. I've done a ton of things that should be uh, dropping, I believe, just over the next few weeks. Um, I, I never know if I have like the authority to say what's coming out. So I always kind of keep it under wraps until it's like fully out there. But yeah, a lot more things with GQ coming out, um, some stuff with muscle and fitness and, you know, some other stuff with some other outlets coming out shortly, too. So I'm just staying busy. I feel you, man. You a busy, you always a busy man. I always got something up your sleeve. I like that. I like that. So where can our audience, you know, follow you and follow this work that you're doing? Everything social is C4 Dunk. That's uh, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram. I mean, Twitter is probably where, like, you can see all my work. But, yeah, like, those are the two I use. All right, and everybody following me and listening to me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Josh M. Hicks Media, as well as We Are Eagle Radio, War Media. You can follow War Media on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. War Media on Substack, as well as War on Anchor, where we can get all your, all your podcasts from on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Tune in app, you name it. We're all over the place, and I need to. I I, I need to uh, check out y'all, the podcast. I need to do more of checking out what the podcast y'all that you and uh BC be doing because BC be killing me on Twitter. G, <laughs> yeah, man. We have we. I think we only did as me, BC, and Sean. Uh, yeah. Sean now is um, you know, had a you know a new opportunity, so I'm very happy to him. So we haven't done it other than the uh, season preview. But yeah, man, uh, like just two guys that, you know, I came in kind of to the game with and like they're like brothers to me. So, you know, BC is doing what he does. The fact I love BC because, he, you know, he speaks from the heart and his knowledge right there. And it upsets people. And the fact (laughs) the fact that, you know, people are getting upset on this app is always comical to me. Like somebody, I'll, I get a text about BC like at least probably once or twice a month. Yo, did you see what he? I was like, Jesus Christ! I was like, <laughs> and I know BC. BC is probably like 
eating eating cereal or eating dinner and he's just texting he's just tweeting something you know he's tweeting what he feels and the fact that it causes an uproar like it does is still comical to me yeah man i gotta get bc on the show uh definitely definitely, definitely do. Def, yeah definitely gotta get bc and and then and sean back too sean's been on my show Absolutely. before i gotta i gotta get those guys back on there and get them back in rotation as we really get into the swing of things with this nba season but chris my brother, I appreciate you so much. Thankful that you're able to come on my show. Definitely got to get you to come back. And uh, definitely love to do this again with you, bro. Anytime, Josh, man. Just hit me up. I got you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you again.